For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. From Meat Eater's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. As though the last year hasn't been surprising enough, biologists recently discovered what may be a previously unknown tree-dwelling nocturnal mammal that can produce screams over 100 decibels. 100 decibels means if you were either riding a motorcycle or riding this particular mammal, the dendrohyrax of the Taita Hills area of Kenya, you would hear the same volume of noise in each case. You'd look a little different. Hyraxes look like rabbits with short round ears, so I hope the mental picture of riding this cute bunny-eared critter next to, let's say, Harley-Davidson Street 750 is coming into focus. (laughs) Biologists from the University of Helsinki in Finland believe that these particular hyraxes in the Taita Hills may be a new taxon or a genetically distinct biological group because of the very distinct vocalizations they make. The scientists describe the noise as, and here I'm quoting, a strangled thwack. I think my seventh grade friends had a band named a strangled thwack. Weren't half bad either. Another incredible thing about hyraxes is that the closest living relative of this fuzzy seed eater is not the marmot, or the sloth, or the koala, but the elephant. Hyraxes, elephants, manatees, and sea cows all descend from a common ancestor, and hyraxes even have tiny tusks. While we're talking elephants, and things tenuously related to elephants, an ecologist at the University of Auckland recently published a modeling analysis of how far different animals can carry the seeds they've eaten before returning those seeds to the earth and their poop. 
Elephants are extremely effective at this digestive seed dispersal, which is known in the biology biz as zocori. Because they have big stomachs and can travel long distances, African elephants have been shown to poop out seeds as far as 40 miles from where they ate them, providing an important means for plants to spread and propagate. That'd be a new personal best for our long-distance runner friends to go for. But zucchini in the here and now has been well understood for a long time. This New Zealand ecologist, George Perry, is for the first time modeling zucchini in, wait for it, dinosaurs. We do have fossilized dinosaur excrement with seeds preserved in it. No, not corn, seeds. So we know that this mode of seed travel did exist way back when. And we know the body size of various dinosaurs, which tells us roughly how much each dinosaur could eat and how far they could move. Too small, like the two-legged ornithopods, who weighed only a few pounds, and the seeds passed through quickly. Too big, like the 90-ton Argentinosaurus, and it's hard to move very far before the seeds exit. And so Dr. Perry concludes that dinosaurs on the scale of the modern elephant, like the Triceratops and Stegosaurus, would likely have been able to move seeds the farthest, possibly up to 20 miles from the plants that grew them. Although we will never know how right or wrong Dr. Perry might be, at least we now have a very new kind of very old mystery to ponder and something new we have in common with dinosaurs. Be sure to tell your teachers that one, kids. This week, we've got the law enforcement desk, bycatch, and do you smell that? But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week, as well as this podcast, is sponsored by Steel Power Equipment. I'm making this week short because I'm packing up my steel gear and heading south to Sonora, Mexico, meeting up with a few folks from the outdoor clothing brand First Light, Seth Morris and Giannis Patelis, a meat eater, Old Steve was supposed to go, but he's locked up in his guest house with COVID. This one's for you, buddy. Word is, it's been a dry season in Sonora, so we may not see the biggest bucks, but we will hike a lot more of that beautiful high desert than you will. And for that, I'm sorry. You're my boy, Blue! You're my boy. I will give you the full report, hunting coos deer in Sonora, both here on the Week in Review and on the old Cal 406 Instagram account. As for the snort report, it's on pause. See what I did there? Moving on to the law enforcement desk. I personally don't believe any of her animals could have done this. And I do know personally that the raccoon was locked up last night. Spoiler alert, this quote isn't a snippet from the Tiger King documentary. I am never going to financially recover from this. So let's just stop here for a moment with that image of the classic bandit, the raccoon with his black mask across his eyes behind bars. Then let's think of how seriously you will be taken if you have to repeat that line to a local sheriff. Out of Wynn, Arkansas, yes, that Wynn, Arkansas, notable for being the closest city to the second largest state park in Arkansas, also the birthplace of Gunnery Sergeant Carlos Hathcock, which is a name you know if you're a Marine, which I am not, but I was in a Marine wedding one time. (laughs) 
Anyway, lock up the pet raccoon, or it may attempt to eat your baby. It appears a pet raccoon crawled into a near 11-month-old child's bed and actually bit the child so severely that the local sheriff didn't feel comfortable describing the bites. According to Fox 13 News, the sister of the child's mother had this to say. Her legs, she's referring to the baby, from the mid-thigh down, were covered in little pinch marks. It was very little. So if it was a dog, dogs bite, and these were little nibbles. I could say it was a mouse, but then they'd have to go in and look in the walls. I don't think the sheriff was there to determine which animal it was and track them down. The raccoon is, however, going in for rabies testing. No word on the python the ladies released to catch the raccoon before the sheriff arrived, or the silverback gorilla they released to watch the dogs in their absence. Sticking with law enforcement, but moving on. Officials from the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife recently deployed a robotic deer in an effort to catch poachers spotlighting, that is, blinding deer with lights so that they're easier to kill, at night. 29-year-old James Malone was apprehended in Taylor County, Kentucky, for doing just this, shining his light at the realistically moving decoy for long enough that game wardens were able to document Malone's behavior and make the arrest. Now, I think rigging up a robot deer to move naturally enough to catch poachers is just as cool as can be, but is it selfish for me to want another kind of robot deer? Maybe one who is living tissue over a metal endoskeleton, has a CPU that's a neural net computer. I mean, who's better to take on poachers than the deerminator? I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. (laughs) Moving on to the UK desk. Recently, we discussed some of the ins and outs of fox hunting, specifically that upper crust pastime in Britain, whose adherents and opponents rival each other in both passion and persistence. British hunting went through another kerfluffle recently when a little owl was found dead in a trap on one of the estates belonging to the Queen of England. The term little in the name little owl is not just a descriptor of the bird's size, but also part of the common name for the species Athene noctua also known as the Owl of Minerva. Minerva, of course, was the Roman name for the Greek goddess Athena, whose symbol is the owl, and after whom the city of Athens is named. So now you know that. Although the little owl is not officially on the list of protected species in England, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds believes populations to be declining. And, as owls are most definitely in the charismatic section of the avian family, many Britons went ballistic when the photo of the dead owl in the trap came out. Bycatch, the term for snaring, netting, catching things that you didn't mean to, like this little owl, is a challenge in all kinds of trapping. And skilled trappers can reduce bycatch with careful technique. In the UK, the rules for setting traps are very detailed. And allegedly, this particular trap wasn't properly embedded in a tunnel so as to limit the kinds of animals who were in danger of walking into it. And this particular trap on the Queensland wasn't set for the purposes that might first occur to you, the way you might set a beaver trap in hopes of some extremely warm fur and questionably appetizing tail. This trap, and many like it, was set in order to reduce the number of stoats, weasels, rats, and other predators who eat the pheasants 
the British hunters love to go after. Predator control. You set a trap for your competition. Trapping predators to protect upland game species is often great practice, and it's done extremely well in many parts of the U.S. By controlling one of the main drivers of bird mortality, you can increase the numbers of all kinds of ground-nesting birds, including many non-game species that can use all the help they can get. There are actually a few ways to accomplish this goal. One of the most interesting is to lay off the control of coyotes. Even though we often think of coyotes as a major threat to game species, they often eat the varmints and smaller predators that really focus on birds and eggs. The land managers that set predator traps in the UK have an intimate knowledge of the landscape they're working in and are in many cases outstanding stewards of the ecosystem. The wrinkle in this story of the little owl, however, is that these particular protected pheasants are by and large not wild, but rather birds introduced by people expressly for the purpose of being shot. Although this doesn't represent all of the bird hunting in the UK by any means, the stocking of certain estates with birds and then having paid beaters flush those birds towards hunters is very popular. Very popular may have an asterisk by it when you consider that a 2010 study accounted for only 625,000 hunters amongst the 56.5 million residents of the UK. Pheasant hunting, the shooting sports, are an enormous industry in England, partially supporting more than 70,000 jobs. As many as 50 million juvenile pheasants, or poults, are released every year, and critics charge that the birds take a heavy toll on the ecosystem as they compete with native birds and other wildlife for food and habitat. Of course, things get even more controversial when an owl gets caught in a trap meant to protect artificially introduced birds. And it's on the queen's estate. If they're not setting traps the right way in the queen's backyard, the thinking goes, what kind of example does that set? For the rest of the country, and shouldn't the monarch be protecting vulnerable wildlife, and so on. Again, as with fox hunting, the fact that pheasant shooting is particularly associated with royalty, nobility, the upper classes, causes a lot of friction. Forgive me for continuing to beat this drum, but this big British blow-up illustrates another reason that recruiting new hunters and keeping them involved here in America is such a huge deal. Hunting might not exactly be mainstream here, but it's practiced by a lot of different people in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways. According to Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine, 11.4 million deer hunters were legally ready to hunt in the 2020 season. That is just deer hunters. In 2018, the state of Texas sold over 1 million licenses. 2019 hunting license data says 15,544,000 plus people purchased a hunting license in the United States, which sounds like a lot, but, you know, we have 331 million people in the United States. And, you know, for the record, 15,544,000 hunters may be plenty of hunters in the U.S. If everybody conducted themselves in such a way that Uh, the other 315 or so million people in the U.S. said, hey, I know a hunter. Those folks are great. If we're good stewards, if we represent ourselves well with non-hunters, maybe if we bring some of these non-hunters some delicious pheasants delivered by, let's say, a cute puppy, then maybe, you know, the attitude uh, across the entire United States is like, no, I do not hunt, but I do know a good hunter with a cute puppy, and they're uh, swell folks. (laughs) 
Which of you listening right now took a class in school about family finances 101? No one? Me neither. Like the importance of a will or a college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning, we have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Life insurance is important to me because I don't want to be a burden on anyone ever, especially when I'm dead and I can't chip in to, you know, lift heavy things and do stuff like that. That's why I have life insurance. And I know you don't want to be a pain in the ass because you're listening to my podcast. So get life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash cal policies issued by western southern life assurance company not available in certain states prices subject to underwriting and health questions now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating you know some organ the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill i had that when i was a little kid and it was a big deal Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Anyway, speaking of puppies, whenever snort is taking a little longer than I would like to learn something new, I occasionally find myself muttering something like, how can you not see that the thing is right there? But then I picture what Snort might say if she could understand me. You're calling me dumb? I can smell emotions. For God's sakes, emotions. And Snort would be right about my deficiencies, especially in the smell department. 
Her canine compatriots continue to blow me away with the things they're able to do with their noses, especially in an area I care a whole lot about, locating hard-to-find invasive species. If you are a person who does not care much about the Florida Everglades, you may be tired of how much we talk about them here on Cal's Week in Review, but amazing things keep happening there, including the unbelievable proliferation of Burmese pythons throughout the ecosystem. As we've discussed many times, when an animal finds a new place to live with an agreeable climate, lots of prey, and no natural predators, the numbers of that thing take off. And that is 100% the case for pythons. One of the other advantages Florida pythons have is that they are exceedingly hard to detect. They can remain motionless for up to 15 days at a stretch. They can stay completely submerged in water for hours. If you want to learn more about just how hard these things are to find, do yourself a favor and go listen to episode 219 of the Meat Eater podcast, in which herpetologist Dr. Robert Reed, aka Dr. Bob, goes into astonishing detail about how well adapted these snakes are for being there and not having you know it. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? For the good of the rest of the animals in the Everglades, the need to find these snakes and reduce their numbers is extreme. We are, however, not very good at it. There are an estimated 100,000 to 300,000 pythons in the Everglades, which, if you can tell by the gaping 200% gap in the estimate, we have no clue how many pythons there are. And paid snake hunters have only caught 6,300 of them in the last four years, despite intense focus on the problem. And that is where the very smart and capable dogs come in. In the past few months, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission have been training dogs to sniff out pythons. And recently, a dog named Truman found his first one. In order to train him and the other dogs in the effort, handlers introduced towels with python scent on them, then let the dogs find live snakes with implanted radio transmitters. Quick side note, you can pick up a set of python-scented towels in ivory, seafoam green, and coral pink. The perfect, better-late-than-never Christmas present for that special someone. Just look up floridafishandwildlife.com. Kidding. Or am I? I mean, seriously, have you ever been to Florida? Have you ever seen the classic Florida tourist traps? Python towels are probably buried in there somewhere. Anyway, Truman found his first snake in the Rocky Glades public small game hunting area in Miami-Dade County, where, I'll bet, there is less small game to be hunted now than there was prior to pythons and python dogs. Although this pilot dog training effort is small, it is showing promise, and the hope is that more dogs can be trained in the same skill. We're really going to be rocking and rolling when the state of Florida figures out some particularly good use for all the feral cats. Good dogs. Now, when it comes to invasives, it's always more effective to stop the spread before it gets out of hand and into the water or the bush. It's much harder to reduce numbers of a species that's fully established across a landscape like pythons. Detecting a new invasive fast can mean the difference between a nuisance and a catastrophe. Pennsylvania is trying to contain exactly this kind of recent invasive whose numbers are growing but haven't yet exploded. The spotted lanternfly, native to East Asia, 
has been detected in the southeastern part of the state as well as in parts of several surrounding states. It is a strange feeling when a harmful invasive species is also extremely beautiful, but that is truly the case with the spotted lanternfly. It has two sets of wings, the top two spotted like a Dalmatian's coat, the bottom two with pomegranate red patches. When the top wings cover the bottom ones, the red color glows through, giving the lantern effect that led to its name. Unfortunately, the lanternfly's effects are anything but beautiful. The voracious eaters feed on all kinds of crops, but most especially grapes and stone fruit. They are a major threat to Pennsylvania's vineyards and orchards, and their appetites are not the only problem they present. They almost always leave behind a sooty mold that damages plants even further. Once lanternflies have grown to full size, it's too late to control them, and so it's critical to find their eggs and destroy them before they hatch. But, of course, part of what makes them so tough to eradicate is that their eggs are very hard to see and very well hidden. So, guess who has the detection skills to pinpoint where they are? Dogs, not outdoor bird and small mammal destroying cats. Dogs. Veterinarian Cynthia Otto at the University of Pennsylvania's Working Dog Center has trained a German shepherd named Lucky to detect the spotted lanternfly's unhatched eggs. Although Dr. Otto trained Lucky, she then handed her off to the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture to patrol the edges of the known lanternfly zones to find and destroy the eggs before they spread any further. Although Lucky is just starting to be deployed in the field, she has passed the first critical test, picking up the smell of the lanternfly eggs while ignoring the smell of the tree bark that eggs are almost always on. It would not be so useful to have a dog who would let you detect tree bark in a forest. The trainers went even further and introduced smells intended to distract Lucky's nose, but she ignored these diversions and found the live eggs 95% of the time. Good girl, Lucky. And Pennsylvania is not messing around with this problem. They have already quarantined significant portions of the state, restricting the movement of landscaping and construction waste, plants, firewood, deck furniture, mobile fire pits, and much more. In order to move this stuff from place to place, you now need a permit from the state, showing that you've been trained in inspecting your stuff and getting rid of any eggs. Think of that. A horsefly just makes you bleed a little bit. The lanternfly makes you get a state permit to move your own deck furniture around. You didn't file your paperwork last night. That's some next-level annoyance from the fly family. Moving on. Mount Everest is two feet taller. Take that, Sir Edmund Hillary. Sometimes it doesn't pay to be first, kids. Everest was recognized as the tallest mountain in the world in 1856. The actual height of the mountain was calculated at 29,028 feet in 1954, then 29,035 feet in 1999, and if the new number is recognized, the current official height will be 29,031 feet. Well, wait. Hillary and Tenzing Norgay summited Everest in 1953 when the official height was, quote, tallest. Now, the official height is less than the 54 calculation, but if you calculate in subsidence, 
or shrinkage, the fact that the land uh, compresses over time, Hillary and Tenzing may actually be first to summit and have climbed the furthest to reach the world's tallest mountain. Which means, Ricky Bobby was right. If you're not first, you're last. Shake and bake. What does that do? Did that blow your mind? That's all I've got for you this week. Thanks for listening. As per usual, write in. Tell me what's going on in your neck of the woods. You can find me at A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com. If you're loving what you're hearing, tell a friend or two. Don't hog all this good info for yourself. Thanks again. I'll talk to you next week. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more.